Welcome to the Go One Better podcast. We are your hosts, Hannah Tucker and Abby Layton. And if you're serious about mastering your mindset, nutrition and training, but love a good time and a lol, then stick around because we're about to become best friends. Hi guys, welcome back to a special episode that we have today. We have an amazing guest with us and we are so excited that she's sitting right here with us. Her name is Emma Booth and she's a two-time Paralympian from Melbourne. Yeah, from Melbourne. Rowan, yes. Welcome, Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for coming. We have a mutual friend, Abby, who is actually sitting right here in the corner, really <laughs> <laughs> quietly, quietly like a mouse as well. And when she told me a story the other day, I just was so excited. I said to her straight away, I need to get you on. It just sounds like such an amazing story of resilience. And yeah, it's incredible. I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, really excited. Yeah. I'm excited to be here and yeah. tell it, tell it, I guess. Yeah. Um, so every week we start each episode with what we're grateful for. Abs, we go first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grateful for my work people. Sorry, Hannah. Yeah, rude. <laughs> I know you're going through some work things, but no, we had a really great work party last week. And that looks like a lot of it fun. It was really, really fun. We went to wineries and then had a little closing dance party at the Yeah, studio. what was oh, that about? Was beautiful. We just closed the doors and had a bit of a what party. What made you go back to the studio, not know, like We just out. didn't want to go out. And pay like, for yeah. things. Yeah, it was great. Did you have alcohol there? Yeah. We got a slab. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Em? What are you grateful for? Uh, I would have to say that this week I'm very grateful for this amazing weather that Melbourne has thrown us. It finally feels like summer is here. Except for the weird rain. Did you see those photos of like the storm rolling, rolling in? in? It looked like the world was ending. Yes. <laughs> I'm yes, not even joking. Jackie Felgate's stories of like the oh, world yes. ending. Hilarious. Yep. Crazy. What are you grateful for, Em? I am grateful for just the people around me this week and the sports whoa, support that I've been given around, yeah, a pretty significant event that did happen a couple of days ago, but I'm not going to get into it because I will start crying. Yeah. So we're not going to talk about that today. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I'm going for, the support yeah, I have around me. Love that. Love you, that. darling. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, And doll. the present you got me, I'm bloody oh, excited to I, do I that. I got a massage. Yeah, she oh, got me a massage. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I know. Do you know I've never massage. had a massage? What? Never. That Stop it. Okay. Bunkers. So you've just treated me to my wow. first ever massage. You're going to love it. All right, Em, you are a Paralympian. Yes. I guess you had you weren't always in a wheelchair. No, so no. You had an accident. Yeah. At, how long ago was that? Uh, so that was in 2013. Okay. So oh, wow. I guess like I've been riding since I was yes. 11. Equestrian. Yeah. That was one of my questions. So you've always been into horse riding. Yeah. Or? Like I mean, I've I've always loved horses, and mm-hmm. um, I've wanted to ride probably since before I could walk. But yeah, mum and dad, like my family, aren't horsey, so getting into it was a little bit difficult. Yeah. And in 2002, it's this is one of those like take us back to like oh child. gosh, I know. This will take you back and yeah, definitely people of my generation will appreciate this. But um a television show called The Saddle Club. Oh my gosh. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. So I was obsessed being a (laughs) young horsey girl and uh I didn't ride at that stage, but they ran a competition in two thousand and two to win a pony for twelve months and there was over like thirty thousand kids in Australia that entered and I was lucky enough to win. Oh my so God. that's wow. really like started my riding journey. So and where did you keep the pony? Uh, so everything was included in the prize. The pony, um, adjustment. So it was in Upper Beaconsfield, which was about 10 minutes from where we lived in Berwick. And yeah, everything, oh gear, um, vet So it bills, just stayed lessons. there and you, yeah. yeah it was made for it. I just went and rode every day and 
um, yeah, absolutely just fell in love with the sport. And I think that mum and dad realised at that point that I was extremely passionate and it wasn't just a little young girl phase of saying <laughs> I wanted a pony. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, they probably realised that it was going to be quite difficult to um, get me out yeah. of that interest. It was just a part of me then. So, yeah, yeah that's sort of, I guess, where it started. And then... Uh, I was an eventer, which is like three-day eventing. So we do dressage, show jumping, and cross-country. Um, and I did that all through high school. I then moved to Germany for a short while where I uh, had a job working for an international dressage rider overseas. Uh, and that was an amazing experience. But then, yeah, I came back to study in 2013. And that's when my life was Turned upside down pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, a friend and I were coming back from a horse competition in Albury and uh, we were involved in a really serious car accident, a truck jackknifed onto the wrong side of the road on a turn, yeah, on the Melbourne Highway. Were you driving? Uh, No, I was the passenger. My friend Courtney was driving um, and, yeah, we had a head-on with the truck. Wow. I think we we were the truck. I think was going eighty or ninety kilometers, and same for us. So it was um, oh really significant. Wow. That's damage incredible. That's... To, yeah, like looking back on photos of the truck and the car, and the you know we had the horse float with two horses on, and um, oh my god, yeah, it's. I mean, I suppose I feel quite lucky because looking at that sort of stuff, you go, how did we actually get out of that? Yeah, was Courtney o- was like, Courtney okay? Uh, yeah, she yeah. had a bit of damage to her knee she had to have a few um surgery ongoing surgeries with her knee to get that back on track but she was fine uh unfortunately both of the horses were killed in the accident so that was and they were they were her horses so that was really traumatic for her but I remember um vividly sort of I blacked out when the collision happened and then I remember waking up in the car and feeling the whole car shaking and it was sort of took me a few minutes to be like what what is happening like why is the car shaking and then I realized that it was one of the horses in the float just thrashing <gasps> oh in the, in the gosh float. and it was this completely helpless feeling of not being able to do anything but knowing and it was just it, like, it still makes me feel sick thinking about yeah. it now it was awful do you remember like the almost the lead up like do you remember the collision or yeah, was that, yeah, yeah I you do. remember everything vividly uh yeah I pretty I remember it's one of those things that is funny. It, ha- it sort of happens really quickly, mm. but you can still almost then see it in slow motion. Mm. Um, so I, I do. I remember the truck coming around the corner and seeing it was dark. So I just saw the headlights and then you saw the back of the truck sort of swinging out and Courtney sort of started to go to the left of the road, but there was no, like there was literally mm. nowhere to go. So um, yeah, that's basically, I remember that and then blacked out. And then I remember, yeah, waking up in the car and, um, the dog was barking. We had a dog with us, socks, oh my gosh. and she. Again, this is all stuff you find out later. I remember her barking, but then later on, uh, we found out that she was actually quite aggressive towards anyone that was trying to get to into help. the car to help us. Oh, she was sort of protecting. thinking that she was protecting us. So yeah, we found that out later. Yeah, I then I remember it was a really long. It felt like a really long wait, waiting for the ambulance to get there, um, which I think it was about an hour before I was removed from the car. Mm-hmm. And the actual getting pulled from the vehicle, I remember that was the most painful experience that I've ever experienced. Yeah, that was pretty awful. But then the 
paramedics they were fantastic you know they got me into the ambulance and took me straight to the Royal Melbourne and the nurses and staff and everything there were just beyond incredible like they're amazing so I think I was in ICU for about 10 11 days I remember them telling me that I wouldn't be able to walk again so it was actually I had a tube in my throat that was assisting me to breathe um, because I couldn't breathe on my own at that point and uh, therefore I couldn't actually speak. So for the first sort of, I don't know how many hours it would have been, but for the first good, you know, 12 hours, uh, the only way I could communicate with my nurse was through, we sort of had a few little hand signals and um, then she got me some paper so I could write notes, but I was also on a lot of pain medication. Mm. So Mm. I, I remember seeing the notes like, Later. Probably a year later and looking at the writing, you're like, how did she decipher what I was trying to write to her? Like, um, looked like a two-year-old's writing. But, uh, yeah, I, I wrote some notes. You know, if I had a question, I could write it down. And But I, I do remember one of the questions I asked with my sign language was a walking signal with my fingers, mm-hmm. like asking her if I would be able to walk again. And um, she was amazing. And I can't even imagine how difficult it would be breaking that news to someone, like having that as a job, you know. But she she was fantastic. And she, at that point, it was still quite unclear as to the severity of uh, the damage to my spinal cord, but it had been severed. So they knew, I think, that it was very unlikely. So she just said, you know, it's not completely known, but it's unlikely that you'll walk again at this stage, you know, but they'll give you more information, you know, as as we go on sort of thing. And pretty much I f- think that one of the next questions I had soon after that was probably would I be able to ride again? And I think the whole journey, they were all quite uh, supportive of that as being an option, but they're also like, oh, let's just focus on like getting, mm, you, getting you getting you better, better first, and, uh, you know, before we even think of that, that as jumping a back step. on a horse. Yeah, but for me, it was just yeah, it wasn't a question of if really, it was just when, when yeah. and um, yeah, it was sort of my spinal surgeon that uh, ended up deciding that. So wow, yeah. how old were you when this happened? Uh, I had just turned twenty one. Yeah. Wow. So, again, you feel like you're, when you're 21, you sort of feel like you're quite old. And, and then now <laughs> that I'm 30, you look back and I'm like, oh, God, I was a baby. I was a baby. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And that was probably half of the adjustment to at that time. You know, you're 21, you're wanting to be going out with your friends mm. and living that sort of, you know, life. And then all of a sudden being in hospital, fighting for your life and thinking about all of the things that you are probably not going to be able not to do. Yeah. Wow. Um, but, yeah, again, I think that my friends and family were so amazing and supportive at that time that they really kept me focusing on all the things that I still could do, mm-hmm. you know, rather than uh, – and obviously, you know, it's only human nature. You can only – you go only think about some of the things that, oh, now I can't do this, I can't do that. Mm, but also then you have to sort of shift that thought and go, okay, but what about what I can still do? What can I still do? I can still do that. And so that's where I think the um, – power of mindset yeah, yeah mindset in. would just yeah, be everything definitely by definitely. then and you can feel that in the you know you get to know a few of the other patients in the hospital at the time and there's definitely a real you know varied approach to some of the mm. people's rehab like there's some pe- people that just can't bring themselves like yeah, them to even yeah, like, yeah they just deal with can't, it can't bring they close down to, yeah it's not a reality oh. and and it's easy to just sort of shut down and and not um, take it as as what it is. So, had you have you always been sort of a strong minded person? Or did yeah, you, yeah, I'd say so. I think um, yeah, I've always been quite uh, positive and yeah, dedicated, mm, committed, but yeah. also just um, 
like when I set my mind to do something, I'm pretty mm. determined. <laughs> you get it done. Yeah. So, how long were you in hospital for? And- uh, so again, I I think that when I was first admitted, they told my family that I probably wouldn't. The accident was in April, and they told my family that I probably wouldn't be out before Christmas. Uh, but I sort of really stuck to the program and the rehab and the physio and everything that they set me, worked with a lot of OTs and um, psychologists and all that sort of thing, everything that they offered in hospital. And I actually ended up getting out in the middle of July. So wow, it was that's like, amazing. Yeah, five months earlier yeah. than they that's incredible. predicted. So, and again, yeah, wow. I think it helped that I was quite young um, and healthy, fit mm. at the time of the accident. So my body healed probably quicker yeah. than they maybe anticipated as well which helped mm. but yeah definitely the the work that was put in I think made a difference too so incredible yeah. wow that is yeah amazing oh, I can't even imagine no neither that's amazing <laughs> in terms of the Paralympics when did you decide that that might be something that you wanted funny it's one of those things where again I think throughout my journey I've started to appreciate that everything happens for a reason and you know without sounding like lame or cliche but I feel like uh fate tends to have a absolutely a, you know, play a bit of a role in everyone's journey so you know for example the scruffy that uh, sorry that was my first pony that I won like that sort of you know for me was this fate that stepped in and then obviously this um, accident happened and it was like well where am I going with my life now and it was like two weeks probably after my accident so I was either still in ICU or, or I had just got out of ICU onto the the ward and I remember getting an iPad from my dad's boss at the time because he knew that I was in hospital and I would be in bed a lot and that maybe I would like that to watch things or you know Mm. and I anyway I got this iPad and I started googling the Paralympics and a paraquestrian and just you know one sort of click leads to another and I ended up then seeing that the next Paralympics was going to be in Rio in 2016 and I looked into so all the three, three, three years at this point. Yep. yep. I looked into all the different um, grading of paraquestrian and how that sort of worked. And uh, I remember mum and dad came to visit me that night and they're like, hey, how you going? How's your day? And I was like, yeah, yeah, good. How's your day? And they're like, yeah, yeah, good, good. What'd you get up to? And I was like, oh, well, just so you guys know, like, I'm not an eventer anymore. I'm now going to be a paraquestrian and I'm going to go to the Paralympics in Rio in 2016. So, <laughs> and they were like, oh. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was sort of, I think at the po- at that point in time, it was a bit of a dream goal. It was mm. sort of one of those things that I said and it was like, oh yeah, like I'm going to go to the Paralympics, but it wasn't a reality. Mm. Um, and it probably wasn't until I did get back in the saddle, which was six months after my accident. Um, wow. And again, that was my spinal surgeon sort of put that as a timeline, I think three months after my accident, I was pushing him to You're like, I'm ready. get back in. I'm like, can I do it yet? Can I do it? And he's like, no, no, let your body just heal a little bit more. Let's give it another three months. So then, uh, yeah, it was six months after my accident. I was back in the Incredible. saddle uh, thanks to the help of some amazing people in the area. So Julia Badham's at um, Balmoral Equestrian Centre in Harkaway. She was the, again, this is like all those... Fates. Yeah, yeah. So I lived in Berwick at the time. Uh, Julia was in Harkway, so we were about 10 minutes from each other. And at the time, she was the national para-equestrian head coach, like, for the Australian team. So she'd been to London the, the previous games. And um, basically, if you were going to go to anyone that had any idea about para-equestrian in Australia, it would be her. Yeah, and yeah she wow. was literally right around the corner. 
and she just sort of took me under her wing and and um, had a horse at her property that um, Rocky he was beautiful and yeah she just organized for me to have the first ride and she helped me with the first few months of um, transitioning into that but yeah it was probably after you know my first sit in the saddle that the Rio goal actually maybe became a reality. Felt a bit more real. Like, okay, this is actually maybe something that I could do. Yeah. Um, And that's probably when the family then really got on board with assisting. Um, Yeah, so that's sort of when a good family friend, Glenn Carter, who we've known, like my parents have known him since they were kids and he's known me then my whole life. So he's almost like uncle, but, you know, yeah. he's like that pseudo uncle. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, he basically just decided that he wanted to do something to raise money for me. He knew that if anyone knows anything about horses, nothing with horses is cheap. Everything yeah, yeah. Horses so I've heard. So expensive. Yeah, so he knew that I was going to need some money to get a horse that was going to be of quality to get me to Rio. Um, but I think he also knew me and my attitude and he knew that once I'd set my mind on that as being the goal, like that's something that I would do and achieve. So he wanted to do anything that he could and he decided to ride his bike around Australia, um, in order to raise money for me. Push back. Push back. back. (laughs) Yeah. That's so crazy. How many kilometres... It was Did that end like up being, do you know? 14,270 or something like that. I can't even ride like 10 kilometres without oh, getting like pain. Honestly, and... he's just like, he'd done lots of um, triathlons and Ironman. Tri- yeah, okay. All that sort of, like he was, he was fit. fit, <laughs> fit yeah. You know, yeah, <laughs> like he knew, he knew uh, a bit about it and he basically said to us, again, he's the similar type of person when he says he's going to do something, you're like, mm. right, there's no changing yeah. his mind. Like if yeah. he's going to do that, he's determined. Do that. Yeah. How long did it take? So he had set out, um, the plan was to finish the ride in 70 days and he had so much help. Like uh, obviously there was a support vehicle that traveled with him the mm. whole time around Australia, but it wasn't the same people traveling with him. So he had family and friends from Melbourne flying up to the Northern Territory yeah, to do a great. week and then come back and then, you know, the Incredible. people would swap in. So the support that he received in itself was amazing. Um, and then I think the support that we received financially, again, was just mind-blowing. That You know, people heard about what he was doing to try and help me and yeah. what I was trying to achieve and they just were donating. And Incredible. Yeah, that's amazing. I, yeah, I think still the to power this day, of the it's people. like, oh, it was... Literally the power yeah, of the people. Yeah, it was huge. It was just... Yeah, I think you still can't. I, I can't really. 70 days, that's I quite quick. Yeah, but he's, again, he's a, an overachiever and he ended up getting it done in 68 days. So, oh my Did he camp God. out? Yeah. Did he, like, have tents and stuff or was he in accommodation? No, so or? that was the, the support vehicle. Oh, the van. Was okay, van it's like in the van. It's like a Winnebago type yeah, thing. Yeah, they yeah. had um, beds and kitchen net and all that sort of stuff. So it was... He had thought everything through, everything was set up and, and yeah, but basically he Amazing. just, um, instead of taking the extra two days off, he only had one day where he didn't ride the whole <gasps> time and he got it done in 68 days. Like Incredible. he was riding Far out. 300 kilometers a day, <gasps> things oh like that. God. Like it was just ridiculous, you know, and by the end he had sores from the... Yeah, you would like, imagine. It was just, you know, and again it was that, I remember him saying at one point, I think he said it to mom or, my mum or dad when he got back, uh, towards the end, like when he was really mentally struggling about, uh, you know, he felt like his legs couldn't take him any further. He literally just thought about me mm. in the wheelchair, you know, and using my arms to push. And he, I think, mentally 
thought about his legs as be, you know as if they yeah. were like up. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Like it was this really weird that he that got him through. Yeah, he just pushed himself beyond I think what a lot of people yeah. could do. So Definitely. he was yeah, absolutely incredible incredible human and uh again the support that we received from everyone really made the um the Rio goal achievable so yeah yeah incredible. otherwise I don't think it would have, would have uh, actually come to yeah I might have reality. a really silly question Ask away. No, I love it. No silly questions. questions. Oh, I'm like, yeah, no like, silly questions. Oh, no, I'm actually a little bit embarrassed. <laughs> it's okay. I can, if it's bad, I can do cut it out. Do you take your own horse to the Paralympics? Yes. How yes. do you get it there? You cannot, um, no, put, that, that is, you cannot put it on yeah, a plane. You can. Yeah. No way. Yeah, yeah. So that's why silly questions everywhere. Yeah. Like, even like the races, like the yeah, Flemington the, horses would go to. Not in like the plane that we get on. Yeah, underneath, probably. You're joking. Well, yeah, it's like a plane that we get on, but it's a cargo. We're not on the plane, are we? Okay, we're not. No, no, there's like, it's a specific cargo flight that's set up. Like, okay. there's only that makes maybe more six sense. or seven yeah, they're like seats. heavy and, they're yeah, heavy. you know. Yeah. Do they like, like, so do imagine, their ears okay, pop? Imagine, uh, probably, yeah. That's, like, that wouldn't be comfortable yeah, no, for them. that's the hardest part with traveling them is the takeoff and landing. Once they're in the air, it just feels like they're, for them, it just feels like they're Can in a horse the, float. the landing. The they can't hold on. They don't like it. If it is in Australia, do you put them on the back of a car or do you fly them? Uh, we personally uh, float, put them on the back of a float. But I know that, yeah, in racing they can oh. do flights from here to Queensland and wow. things like that. So, yeah. It's a lot more. I did learn something new today. It's a lot more. I always wondered it. Because uh, I was like, surely you've been training on this one horse the whole time. Yeah. You can't just go on another one when you get mm. there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It has to be. Um, you you qualify as a combination. So like with you the and your horse. horse. Yeah. So that's the other thing. I guess going in, it's if the horse is injured or something happens to the horse, um, then you're you're out. You're out. You, yeah, you don't go. Oh wow! wow. So. It's yeah. crazy. Is it common for them to get injured? Yeah. Like quite easily? Yeah. Mm. That's, yeah, anything. it's quite a challenge um, keeping them fit sound and, and, yeah. and, and fit to, to do the job. So that's, yeah, half of the fun of equestrian <laughs> uh, sport. And that's, yeah, the high, there's highs and lows because you can, you could, you know, there was, a, for example, this Olympics just gone, Patrick Kittle in the able-bodied Olympics, I think two days before he got the horse to Tokyo, he had been training, and oh, in one God. of his training sessions, two days before the competition, the horse just did a, a, an injury in its leg, oh. and then he he wasn't able to compete. So wow, that would oh, be shattering. Oh my God, yeah, it's really bad it's luck. Difficult, mm. yeah, that so. is bad luck. So, so sorry, Rio Paralympics. How was it? <laughs> <laughs> um, the Rio Paralympics was um, amazing. To start, like it was just incredible. Um, I think that it was an emotional roller coaster. It was only three years after my accident, and to then be overseas competing on the world stage, it was a lot to so process and take amazing. on. But yeah, it was incredible. Um, I think my favorite part about going to the Rio Paralympics was actually uh, being in the Paralympic Village. The people that you met there, you know, the other athletes, it it was just so humbling and mm. eye-opening, you know, like you would see people from other countries, um, certain people would have no arms, no legs, everyone getting around in different ways, um, everyone had overcome their own adversity to be there, mm. but everyone also had their own Story. love and mm. passion for the sport that they were there to do. 
and it really just brought everyone together mm. in a way. Like it was this weird feeling that, yeah, well, we're all from different countries and com- technically we're competing against one another, mm. but at the same time okay. everyone was so supportive and just going just, through something. Oh, so yeah, unique, it, yeah. Was, it was such an amazing place and I think it was really um, a privilege to be there because you knew that it's not somewhere that everybody gets to experience. You mm. know, it's a really Absolutely. unique uh, thing to get to be a part of so that was yeah probably one of my favorite things about Rio um, but definitely yeah competing on the world stage with my horse Zidane uh, it was yeah incredible incredible how do you get like points how does it work with what do they judge you on uh, so for us basically you have a set test so we all do the same movements in a test and each movement is uh, gets a score uh, from one to ten 10 being the highest, yeah. and um, then you're given an overall percentage. So, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, we go in and, and do the best we can and, yeah. Yeah, get judged by that. Yeah, that. it's it's a hard sport to follow. It's one of those sports that if you don't really know what you're looking at or it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, when, when you know, it's, yeah, it's a bit easier to follow, obviously. That's <laughs> like any sport. Did your yeah. fa- whole family go with you? Yeah, yep. So the, my whole family came to Rio. Yeah, it was amazing. They all just um, they would be so proud. Yeah, <laughs> so it proud. Was, it was it was lovely. Like after everything we'd been through, I yeah, think too, just being sure. able to all go over and do that t- together. It was yeah, it was really great having them there. Um, and that was probably something that was difficult or challenging, more challenging with Tokyo. Um, given COVID, mm, you know, knowing yeah. that they probably would have liked to come and have a bit of a holiday and watch yeah. and support, but <laughs> get out you of know, Yeah, no one, no one was able to come, and there was no crowd. There was no spectators or no. anything. So was, was that weird? Yeah, it was. It was I, I mean, again, it's funny because when you're actually on the horse and you're about to go in and do the job, you're really in the zone. Mm. So to be honest, you don't actually notice until afterwards. Like, yeah, okay. I think the horses would notice more than like me. I can sort of put the blinkers on, whereas yeah. when there's a crowd, the horses tend to sort of notice. Mm. But, um, yeah, definitely for me it, it was not too different when you were in the – in the arena and then when you came out it was it was a little bit more noticeable but the you know the volunteers like all the Japanese that were running the show they were you know as much as they could they were standing around when you came out and gave you a clap and like really supportive so you know they they were great and they did they made the, the most, you know, everyone can. made the mm. most of what, mm. what it was. So, um, yeah, and all the, you know, equestrian people that were at the venue, everyone was trying to watch and support each other as much as they could as well. So that was really lovely. But, yeah, it definitely was a noticeable difference, difference. just yeah. in the whole, in the vibe. <laughs> Did you have any fear getting back on the horse? No. Not at all. That's amazing. No. That's incredible. Yeah, I, um, I think I was – a really like active person before my accident you know mm. if I wasn't riding which I was every day I was running I was actually I loved running before my accident and um yeah I think then being confined to either my wheelchair or my bed for six months mm. having the opportunity to get back in the saddle like I didn't have any fear it was only excitement and and joy I mm, suppose yeah. like, without sounding yeah, a bit lame, but no, uh, not at all. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, it was yeah, it was really uplifting. It was uh, almost amazing. like healing. As yeah, well. yeah, it was super mm. healing, and it was 
I think it felt normal, you know, like for me, as I said, that's what I was doing every day before my accident. So to mm. feel the horse moving underneath me, it was just this place of this is comfort normal and comfort. Mm. Yeah, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And that I that comfort, I think, is also what kind of um, gave me that motivation to want to get to the Paralympics in Rio because I did feel so at home mm. in the saddle. It was like, oh, well, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So, um yeah. Did you find a difference with confidence in so in confidence with Rio to Tokyo? Like uh, the second time around, was it yeah, easier or was uh, it? Oh, that's a tricky one. Did you have the same horse? Yeah, yes, the same, same horse. horse. So wow. we, yeah, that actually in itself, we I guess you'd say it's an Australian record, or we made history in mm. Australia oh. to be the first combination to ever compete at two games. Wow. wow. Yeah, and given the postponement of Tokyo, there was a five-year gap between the two rather than the usual four, so that in itself was an extra feat. But, um, yeah, I think it's it's tricky to say that, uh, you know, you definitely go into your second one having a more knowledge, more confidence uh, in that you know what you're doing, you know what to expect. But I think it was quite a unique situation for me with my horse. Uh, we'd been through so much together. Uh, we'd gone to Rio. We'd then gone to the World Equestrian Games in America in 2018. And then to be trying to, you know, medal in Tokyo. Uh, there was a, a lot of pressure there, I think. And mm-hmm. to be fair, probably put more pressure on myself mm. for the second games than I did the first. So, um yeah, I think it's it's different. And, had you know, had it not been on the same horse, that might have been a different case. You might have just gone in with, mm. you know, like I think if I was to do it again next time, you know, Paris 24 on a different horse, then, um, yeah, you'd probably just use the knowledge and experience and, and go in with a bit more confidence. Um, but, yeah, there was definitely a very emotional side to Tokyo for yeah. me with mm. my horse and yeah. knowing that, he was also going to retire after Tokyo because he's 19, like a, he was wow. a bit older, yeah. Um, yeah. So that was, I think, uh, something that, yeah. But 19 is quite old, isn't yeah, it? Wow, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, yeah so I think that was probably the, the limit yeah. <laughs> for him. <laughs> is Paris on the cards? Yeah, absolutely, yep. Um, again, I need to find a horse because Zidane's now retired, so that'll be the next part of the journey, finding another horse. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, but Paris 2024, only three years away So will now. it be in 2024? Will yeah. they just sort of give it three years? And yeah, from what Try I and get it back into... From what I can gather, yeah. The hang, the yeah. hang of things? The swing, the of, swing things. of things? The hang of things <laughs> works as well. <laughs> yeah. So would you start training for that soon? Uh, yeah, well, it's funny. I was just saying to Abby the other day that I'm sort of at this stage sort of, again, going to see what the world has to offer and, and let fate play a bit of a role in what my next move is. But... Mm. Um, potentially if the right horse was to come on the scene early next year, then we would aim to compete at the Worlds in Herning uh, in August. So that's, yeah, like the, the World Equestrian Games. That's sort of like our equivalent to the Commonwealth Games yep. because the equestrian's not in the Commonwealth. They have, yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> we'd aim to do that next year. And I think that basically if that horse was to get me to the Worlds next year, it would be hopefully the same horse that we'd aim to get to Paris. So the training and the qualifying would just continue on through. It's sort of a never-ending uh, process. Mm. Yeah, I've, I actually don't even know anything about Paralympics or Olympics and how you actually qualify. 
what do you do? How well, do you qualify? Again, it's, it's, <laughs> can you just like go or no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just yeah, okay, you, you yeah, know. like you know. Oh no, if only it was that easy. <laughs> um, it's different for every sport. Okay. And uh, again, this is where the COVID, I think, played a huge role mm. in the preparation for athletes going. And I don't think that you could really truly comprehend how much of an impact an added 12 months to a preparation can have. It was both mentally was... and physically, like everything it was. And mm. for the horses, um, not only did we have to, we qualified before um, COVID, so we did uh, three qualifying events where we you have to get certain scores and yep. you're basically then ranked against the other riders. In 2019. Yep. Yep. And Far so out. then so COVID happened. happened in which obviously Melbourne were in lockdown and basically because the games were postponed, all of the qualifying that we'd done was basically scratched, oh, not, not counted, and we then had to do it again once um, things opened up. Uh, when would that have been? September, October, November, yeah. November. November. Actually, it might have even been yeah, December, January this year, this March year. of yeah, then this year. Um, so yeah, we had to do it all again, and then keep that going through till July, August this year for for the games. Even so, through these lockdowns as well. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yep. Yeah, I forget we had them this yeah. year. Sometimes I know it's weird. Well, that's not, like I went overseas to Tokyo, and you guys yeah. were all in lockdown here, so. Did you have to hotel quarantine when you came yeah. back? Oh, how like, was By it? yourself? I was really lucky. So my mum actually, because of my classification and what grade I'm in, my mum came to Tokyo as my carer. Yeah. Uh, and then because she's my carer, we, we actually were able to have adjoining rooms in oh, hotel quarantine. Great. So that was really good um, just to have somebody to yeah. <laughs> talk Sorry, to and interact with, watch a Rather movie than with. than the wall. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. So that, that did make it a little bit easier. But then at the same time, sometimes you're like, right, mum, get in your room. Yeah. I'm in my room. I need a break. Time out. Time out. Oh, I need space. Sometimes, yeah, I often think, I used to often think that I don't, don't know what would be worse, like having a room with yeah. someone yeah. or by yeah, yourself. by yourself. No, I, do, I, I did like having her. It was great. But, um, yeah, it was a very weird way to come back from such a big thing. Yeah. You know, you, you put so much of your life into pre- preparing and going and competing and, you know, the emotional highs and lows that you have through the journey and then to come back and be locked in a room for two weeks it's like yeah it's almost like you can't celebrate it's it was really it separated the whole experience Mm. from coming home whereas normally you know after Rio you'd come home and you got to have a little bit of a party or see everyone and and whether you maybe did better than expected or not as well as expected either way you have the support there like yeah, if you wanted yeah. to commiserate you've got this whereas mm. we came home and we're locked in a room and oh, it was God. like and then the other thing that i think didn't help is social media you could see all the other para athletes that went back to their countries and who they weren't didn't have down. to quarantine like i think um the people from great britain had a massive ceremony for all Welcoming the para athletes as they think, in this huge stadium thousands of people like getting cheered and fireworks and, <laughs> and we're you're watching just it sitting from the like... hotel room like sorry what is happening <sighs> So, yeah. Melbourne, bloody Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bloody Melbourne. And we, being in Melbourne, we didn't have windows, whereas <gasps> you saw everybody else in Sydney. Oh they had balconies, God. so they at least had fresh air, and we were locked in these rooms with no windows. I do not know how you did that. Did they ever take awful. you outside? No, no, no fresh air for two weeks. Yeah. 
It was oh my horrendous. god! Did you, I would have had a permanent headache. I would have had a panic yeah. attack. It was. I would have had a panic attack too. I, felt, I feel like sometimes it got to that. Yeah, you were just really, and because you're in this air conditioned, oh yeah, temperature yeah. controlled, it, you felt just yeah, yeah, you yeah. just felt gross. So that was probably that. The, that was the hard, and I think I didn't realize going in either, so I hadn't. Mm. Mentally prepared. And then you got there and you're like, oh, shit. What? Yeah, it was – that was probably the hardest bit, to be honest. Yeah. Mm. So have you taken home any medals yet? No. No. That's right. There's always Paris. There is. That's the goal. But I think it's interesting, you know, like going into Rio, um, I think we were almost expected to get a medal or come back with a medal and we didn't. And that was – Again, one of those uh, emotional roller coaster moments that mm. you had to manage. And then I feel like going into Tokyo it was a similar thing. You know, everyone's sort of like, oh, go for gold. And because we were probably ranked as one of the highest combinations in Australia, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure to then everyone's like, oh, just come back with gold, like go for gold. And you're like, yeah, guys, yeah, it's not no, that easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would, yeah. I'm like, sure, I'll try. I'll try. Oh. But, um, you know, the, the quality of horses now in Para Equestrian 2 is so high um, that I've come out of Tokyo just feeling so proud of Zidane and, and given his age and mm. everything that he's been through. Um, yeah, he really held his own on the world stage against those horses and, and medal or not, I still just came back being super proud yeah, of him. Absolutely. And, and what, absolutely. yeah, what, what I think we achieved Accomplished to together. get there. Yeah. Um, sometimes I think the journey is even more than a medal. Yeah. Not to say that absolutely. coming home yeah, the medal isn't going to be the, you know, the cherry on top of the cake in that yeah. expression. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, I think that, that there's a real learning experience in the journey as well. And I like to think too that, particularly with this games and how much uh, it was televised and how easily accessible it was mm-hmm. to the public, this is the first year that that's really happened. Like this is the first year that the Paralympics has actually had an equal amount of exposure. Um, television exposure mm-hmm. as the Olympics. Yeah, and that's, that's huge, you know, like for us to, to have that amount of um, coverage. Yeah, mm. it, it was awesome. So, um, yeah, I'd like to think that too. Everyone in lockdown here was hopefully – Maybe even in watching and inspired by, you know, all the athletes that were over there and what what we were doing. So, um, yeah, if that is something that, you know, your your journey can, yeah, then that's, I think, also more than a a medal can sometimes give you. Absolutely. Just to finish, it is National or World Disability Day today? International Day. International Day. For people with disability. Amazing. Mm. What timing. Yeah. Thank you perfect. so, so much for coming on today and no for sharing worries. your story. Absolutely. I'm blown away. So am I. You're amazing. Oh, you are amazing. You. <laughs> amazing. Yeah, it was great to chat to you both. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. And we'll um, we'll see you soon. Yeah. Thanks. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.